the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. Hey, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from my website, ShalomKlein.com. While you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week. I've got a lot of information for you. You won't want to miss a minute of it. Uh, you can actually uh, tune in and see me here in the studio uh, on my Facebook page. Uh, that is Get Down to Business with Shalom Klein. Uh, and be sure to check out our amazing sponsors, Tandem HR. They are our solution center. And you can find them online, tandemhr.com, or give them a call, 630-928-0510. And speaking of Tandem, we will be talking about some of their latest and greatest advice that they have for employers. Believe it or not, we will be talking about recreational marijuana. That's not usually a topic that we talk about here on Get Down to Business, but this is no ordinary week. Um, That's right. We got a lot of information for you, so don't miss a minute of it. Share us with your friends. Share us with your family. And speaking of friends and family, uh, I wanted to talk about uh, where I've been for the past past while. I briefly touched on it uh, on the program last week. Um, we had so many guests here in the studio, I felt like I didn't do it justice. So I wanted to uh, talk a little bit more about uh, my experiences uh, in officer candidate school. And uh, as uh, some of you may have been uh, following through some of my social media and certainly uh, the promos on the show over the past few months, I've been away uh, training for my Army Reserve um, service. And uh, I am not done quite yet. I'm actually here uh, for a couple of weeks between training, I've uh, successfully completed basic training, uh, basic combat training, they call it, BCT, uh, followed by uh, several months of officer candidate school, and will be continuing on for uh, advanced training uh, as a military police officer at Fort Leonard Wood. I'm currently serving as a second lieutenant in the United States Army, and it's a, a tremendous honor uh, to serve. And uh, I know I talk a lot about service uh, on this program, and indeed, I'll talk some more about it later in the program. But I did want to talk a little bit about my experiences. I'm curious. Um, I realize uh, I'm talking to a microphone, uh, but I'm curious. Do you think that you are tough enough to be an officer? Uh, commissioned officers in today's army are a pretty diverse competitive, I think that's fair to say, and battle-hardened core of individuals. I went through uh, officer candidate school with a a company of, uh, we started as 160 
uh, soon-to-be lieutenants, officers in the Army. And officers don't just wear the rank, they, uh, we bear the burden that it brings. So we try to excel under pressure, and every decision and every action taken by every person under our command is indeed our responsibility, and we're reminded of that all the time. Um, while building a highly trained, uh, cohesive team and developing skills to exceed every standard. Uh, I know that many, uh, many folks that are listening right now uh, have served in some capacity, um, and uh, you know this. You know uh, that uh, serving at any rank uh, is a tremendous responsibility. In fact, uh, you know we are reminded all the time in the officer corps that it's uh, the NCOs, the non-commissioned officers, that run the army, and I certainly agree with that. Uh, but we, uh, as as commissioned officers, we take on the literally the responsibility we are signing on paper uh, that we are responsible for the people and the equipment uh, that's under uh, that's under our care. And every rank, every position of authority comes with a commensurate responsibility to lead, develop, and achieve through moral character, affirmative presence, and exemplary intellect. Being an officer is a demanding profession, and becoming one can be even more challenging. Uh, I'm serving in the Army Reserves. I have some very, very dear friends that I went through uh, some pretty intense training with over the course of six months, and they're serving in the National Guard. But many of our uh, friends and colleagues, our uh, battle buddies, as we like to call them, are serving in the active, uh, in, in the regular Army active duty. And we all take that same oath. We all take that same responsibility. And while some of us may be uh, uh, going in uh, and putting on our uniform once a month, and others put it on every single day, it's the same responsibility. Uh, the U.S. Army currently has three paths to a commission. The United States Military Academy at West Point, Reserve Officer Training Corps, and the U.S. Army Officer Candidate School, which is what I did at Fort Benning, Georgia. And all three routes demand the same rigorous standards of training prior to receiving a commission. So what's the difference between the three commissioning paths? And uh, the answer, in a nutshell, is about three years and nine months. Since, since its inception uh, in July 1941, the OCS motto has been standards, no compromise. And that applies to holding graduates the same standards in 12 weeks as the other commissioning sources do in four years. OCS hopefuls are challenged from day one, physically, mentally, emotionally. I can attest that because I've been through every day of that stress and uh, physical challenge um, over the course of those couple of months that I went through the program. Uh, prospective officer candidates can expect early mornings, late nights, and a lot of hard work. Even the best leaders are challenged uh, to complete the pre-commissioning requirements within extremely compressed timelines. So at OCS, our physical and mental capabilities uh, are uh, put to the ultimate test. If you're not exceeding the physical fitness standards upon arrival, Fatigue and injury from constant physical exertion likely would end your journey. And indeed, I've seen people's uh, aspirations of becoming a commissioned officer um, end quite quickly uh, based on not being able to meet those standards. Uh, commission is a commission from Congress. It's a commission uh, authorized by the President of the United States. And that is a massive responsibility. And OCS, again, that motto is standards, no compromise. And while it is a relatively short path to becoming an officer, it's they don't cut any corners. Um, if you arrive and you're 
and your personal life is not in order, the constant activity and lack of personal time compels many to ring the bell. If you show up and think, how hard could classes be? It's only 12 weeks. You'll fail academically. Have to fulfill your obligation at the needs of the army or return to your unit if you're already serving on active duty. That means you might come in planning on becoming a commissioned officer, um, but then... Uh, due to not being able to meet those standards, you may end up as an enlisted soldier, as a specialist, or in some other capacity. Um, about half, maybe a little less than half, of my uh, battle buddies in uh, OCS, in Officer Candidate School, were enlisted um, soldiers. They were uh, non-commissioned officers, uh, the rank of staff sergeant, uh, sergeant, or sergeant first class, and they've decided that they wanted to go the commissioned officer route. And, and indeed, as I mentioned, that is a massive responsibility. NCOs run the army, um, but uh, the commissioned officers, we uh, make the decisions uh, that, uh, for example, on, uh, on some of the training that we might be doing, the officers are setting the plan, and the NCOs, the, uh, the sergeants and the, and the other enlisted soldiers are the ones that are executing on the plan. So it's a change in outlook in terms of how you view those job responsibilities. And uh, it's quite an experience. In a couple of minutes, i got to squeeze in a quick break. I'm going to continue uh, sharing uh, some of my experiences at OCS. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the people that I met and some of the leadership. Because indeed, this is a program all about business, jobs, entrepreneurship. We talk a lot about leadership on the program. I want to talk about some of the lessons that I learned along the way. Uh, again, this is a uh, different format than we usually do here in Get Down to Business. I often bring on guests that talk about uh, the subject, um, either authors of books, uh, elected officials. Um, we talk uh, with, with job seekers, employers of all kinds. Um, but today, having, uh, having been through Officer Candidate School and the motto of Standards No Compromise, I felt it uh, appropriate that perhaps I can share some of that uh, bit of advice uh, here as well. So we're going to squeeze in a quick break in uh, in about a minute, and then I will continue the conversation about Officer Candidate School. We're powered by our good friends at Tandem HR, your solution center. You can find them online, tandemhr.com. Give them a call, 630-928-0510, 630-928-0510. And I'm going to be sharing some advice from uh, Katie Stewart, who is a HR expert at Tandem HR. We're going to be talking about the legalization of recreational marijuana and how it will impact employers and what should be done differently with drug testing programs. Uh, lots of information for you, not uh, not usually the topics we talk about, but apparently while I've been gone in officer candidate school, apparently a lot of changes have occurred in the state of Illinois, uh, including uh, it seems likely that uh, very, very shortly employers will be dealing with some of those questions about uh, uh, recreational and already dealing with uh, medical medicinal marijuana usage. Uh, so lots, uh, lots to talk about, lots of information to share. We are the program all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. You get on my website, shellamcline.com. I've been writing a little bit about my experiences in the Army, writing a little bit about some of the leadership lessons. So don't miss that. Get on my website, and you can share it with a friend, share it with a colleague. We'll be right back on the program, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Shalom Klein. You're listening to Get Down to Business. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to Get Down to Business. We are the program all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. And uh, for the past bunch of weeks, we've been sharing the uh, the best of Get Down to Business, which has featured uh, a number of interviews with great thought leaders, lots of interesting people, including um, a guest host segment from my very good friend, Paula Peterson. So many thanks to her for 
uh, sharing her wisdom and expertise on the program. Um, but many of you have been contacting me, uh, wondering where the heck I am. And uh, likely I didn't respond because I did not have access to my phone. I did not have access to my email as I've been going through basic combat training in Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, in preparation for serving as a commissioned officer in the United States Army Reserves. Um, But I went through, uh, I succeeded in uh, basic combat training, continued on in officer candidate school, and I'm back for a couple of weeks before finishing. Uh, I guess you never really finish your training, but uh, before continuing my training uh, at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. And if any of you tuning in uh, have experiences at Fort Leonard Wood, uh, please get in touch with me. I'm always curious uh, to hear uh, perhaps your uh, your restaurant advice, anything fun to do in Fort Leonard Wood. So far, I've not heard many, many great suggestions. Um, that probably is because there's not a lot of fun that happens out there. And that's okay. I'm prepared for that. I'm focused on my training, focused on uh, being the best officer that I can be. But before the break, I've been telling you a little bit about Officer Candidate School. I feel it's my obligation to share it with our listeners, uh, letting you know again what I've been doing. But more importantly than my experiences, uh, I wanted to share this information and some of the lessons that I've learned along the way. So as I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago before I had squeezed in a quick break, um, in OCS, you are challenged Physically, if you don't come prepared uh, and ready, it's quite possible you won't succeed. You won't do very, very well. Um, And academically, you're challenged. Physically, you're challenged um, because they're packing in a lot of information and a lot of training into three months. Um, And you can expect, as an officer candidate, um, early mornings, late nights, lots of hard work. Um, You're being put to a lot of tests. If you show up and think um, that how could it be so hard, Uh, It's only 12 weeks. Uh, A shock is in store for you because throughout OCS, uh, your typical morning starts um, zero dark 30. It's starting uh, in the middle of the night um, with physical readiness training PRT and ends at probably about 9 p.m. with continuous training or classes throughout the day. At first, it's just a long day, but compounded by the physical rigors of PRT in the morning, being on the move at all times and absorbing really four years, and that's not an exaggeration, four years of military instruction compacted and contracted into 12 short weeks, even the most competent and fit soldiers feel the fatigue. So as the physical and mental exhaustion sets in, OCS transitions from a school to a course, a means to assess the candidate's character. So when fatigue sets into your mind and body, your inner character starts to show. And that's all very, very intentional. Without really afternoons or weekends um, to recharge, both physically and mentally, um, my fellow candidates are thrust into leadership positions and evaluated under the ever-watchful eye of uncompromising mentors and trainers. Um, So unlike in basic combat training, BCT, um, where you have drill sergeants that are uh, yelling at you and making you do your push-ups and indeed it's everything that you uh, that you see in movies. Um, in OCS, you are being trained by both uh, sergeants, usually staff sergeants or sergeants first class with substantial experience in the army, as well as captains, so mid-level officers. And uh, can your actions, planning processes, and decisions stand up to the scrutiny of by comparison against army doctrine, values, and leadership competencies? That's the question. Keep in mind, again, the, the motto of OCS is standards, no compromise. That means there is no compromise in, the, in that Army doctrine. So an exemplary soldier uh, commissions from 
officer candidate school. Uh, I know somebody 27 years of age, uh, married, young child, like all other OCS applicants. He has a bachelor's degree. So in order to be a commissioned officer, you have to have at least a bachelor's degree. Many people that I know had master's degrees um, or even doctorates. I know lawyers. Um, this individual that I'm referring to, a U.S. citizen, was under 33 years of age, easily passed the PT test, and passed all of the boards. You have to, you have to uh, go in front of a board of senior officers in order to be accepted into OCS because it is such a condensed program. They want to make sure that they're putting in that very, very, very limited number of slots. They want to make sure they're putting only in the best and brightest. Um, in fact, when I arrived at OCS, there was a waiting list of probably over 100 people that were waiting at HHC in the holding company of OCS waiting for a spot. So even once you're accepted, you're going to be sitting around waiting for a very, very long time. So this fella, in, indeed a ideal candidate, and like all other candidates, his time at OCS marked the beginning of his commission officer career. One of the traits that set this candidate apart was that OCS also marked the end of his NCO career, his non-commissioned officer career. Every soldier in the Army accepts and expects their battle buddies to uphold the army values, but the NCO is known as the standard bearer. There are a few that can claim to hold the same deference to the standards of the army. Therefore, it should be no surprise that a successful NCO would be successful at, N- at OCS, where the motto is, as I keep saying, standards, no compromise. So in a time of force shaping boards and reductions in force, it's more important than ever to promote the leaders uh, from within, commanders, first sergeants, sergeants major should develop junior leaders, not just to be outstanding senior NCOs, but to pursue a commission. Are you picking up on a theme over here? It's the same thing as in the corporate world. Indeed, the Army is the second largest employer right after, I believe, it's Walmart. Um, so um, I, uh, I've i talked to a number of people. I don't want to quote names. Not my place. And by the way, I, in nothing that I'm sharing right now is, uh, is in my... Uh, is, in any way uh, representing the Army. These are my own experiences. Uh, so somebody told me that from my experience, officers are the epitome of, uh, of composed professionals. Um, this was from a buddy of mine who was an, an NCO, um, and he said this early, early on. The most impressive trait that I've observed is the energetic determination to accomplish any task that lays before them. That's the same characteristics that a successful NCO or successful officer has. So more than 70 years ago, Captain Michael Pollock, uh, they called him Iron Mike, um, saw the same traits in a young sergeant under his command. In 1944, Pollock issued a battlefield promotion to Sergeant Audie Murphy as a commissioned officer. As second lieutenant, Murphy went on to earn the nation's highest award, the Medal of Honor. In fact, of all of the commissioning sources of the Army, uh, OCS alumni uh, have earned the most medals of honor. Um, many people that you have heard of, um, including uh, Senator Bob Dole, you have Army Chiefs of Staff, you have um, you have people serving in the highest levels of business and government. Many of them have gone through officer candidate school. Um, every leader has the opportunity and responsibility to identify ex- exceptional non-commissioned officers and to mentor them about pursuing a commission. Guiding our nation's best towards the commission officer corps does not minimize the importance of NCOs. They're the backbone of the army. Every soldier deserves a great leader and every NCO deserves the best commander or supervising officer possible. So during fiscal year 2015, army accessions policy limited applicants to six years of prior active federal service. This policy uh, combined with a required bachelor's degree prevented many experienced and talented NCOs from applying to OCS. A four year degree 
is still required, but the restriction to time in active federal service is no longer applicable. So I would just encourage everybody to look into this route as uh, we talked about, and I will talk about further in the program. Um, serving is an important responsibility. And no, Army service is not for everybody. Uh, I'm honored to, uh, to be serving as a commissioned officer in the United States Army. And I know that some of you probably have questions. I'm available to answer those questions. I want to answer those questions. Reach out to me through my website, shalomkline.com, and I can answer some of those questions about service. But if you want to talk about service of another kind, that's okay too. As many of you know, and we talk about often on this program, getting involved in organizations is a great way to serve as well. Uh, In Israel, uh, where I've spent uh, some time in school, uh, there's compulsory military service. We don't have that in the United States. That's why the volunteers, we need volunteers step up, good leaders step up, people that are willing to put their, uh, their, their time, effort, energy, and indeed their life on the line um, for our great country. Um, but for those that don't qualify for that compulsory military service in Israel, there is what's called Sherut Lumi, which is sort of civil service, national service. And these are people that are being paid to serve in the hospitals, to being to, to serve in other not-for-profit or non-governmental organizations. All things are possible. And step up, step up. If you know that you can do something, service to your nation, service to, uh, to people or to your community is something that makes you bigger. It's something bigger than yourself. And everybody has their responsibility. So I hope you enjoyed hearing a little bit about some of the experiences at OCS as well as uh, learning about sort of the history of OCS. Uh, I've learned a lot, and I'd love to share it with you. As I mentioned, get on my website, shalomkline.com, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Indeed, it's always my pleasure to spend time with uh, people willing to serve. Uh, We'll be back after the headlines and some quick announcements. Uh, We'll be talking some more about business jobs and entrepreneurship. You're listening to Get Down to Business. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, Chicago. You're listening to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Shalom Klein. You're listening to Get Down to Business. You can always get on my website, shalomkline.com, uh, to download podcasts from the program, get a sneak peek of who will be on next week on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Um, also, don't forget to check me out on Twitter, at Shalom Klein. Um, I post all sorts of random information, including uh, some of the stuff we just talked about, about officer, candidate, school, army service, community service, and all sorts of other uh, bits of wisdom packed into 140 characters or less. Um, So, speaking of 140 characters or less, I'm always on the lookout for good information. Good information that's relevant to me, uh, to some businesses that I work with, and relevant to you, my wonderful listeners. So, I saw this question. I, uh, I've been catching up on the news, catching up on some of the uh, the latest policy positions here in Illinois that I may have missed over the past bunch of months while I've been away. And uh, I keep seeing about recreational marijuana how it's going to uh, it's going to become the law of the land here in Illinois. Um, I it sounds like there will be recreational marijuana. Um, all over the place in Illinois. And frankly, I don't think that that's the worst thing in the world as long as it is regulated properly. So um, I started looking into how the legalization of recreational marijuana will impact employers and what will be done differently with drug testing programs. So I turned to my friends at Tandem HR, as we always say, our Solutions Center, um, by the way, give them a call, 630 
And I, uh, I asked the question and started learning a little bit more about how uh, marijuana uh, will impact the business community. Good thing, good news is that uh, it wasn't a surprise to them. As soon as the legislation was in the works, uh, the good folks at Tandem HR have started to address the topic. So um, apparently, aside for Illinois, Michigan as well, um, have also, uh, they've been having this conversation there as well. Um, and indeed, there's a massive impact on employers. Both states have now made it legal for individuals to um, above, over a certain age to possess and use a certain amount of marijuana. It, uh, in the past, both states had drug-free workplace policies, and this forces employers to ponder, how do I continue to maintain the drug-free workplace with recreational marijuana now legal? So the acts do prohibit discrimination against individuals that are already employed by you as well as future applicants. It prevents you from discriminating against them because of their use or possession of marijuana. So people will ask, surely, well, isn't recreational use of marijuana still illegal on the federal level? And yes, it is. But both states have given the authority and right to legalize recreational use, and the federal government has, hasn't pushed back on that. In fact, it's probably only a matter of time until the federal government starts to get more on the bandwagon of supporting uh, the business, and there's a massive industry of uh, ma- uh, marijuana, especially as it's been expanded in the medicinal side of things, uh, to make it easier for these companies to bank and actually make it more secure. And, uh, you know, the federal government probably wants to play some role in the oversight as well. So what type of protections does this law that we just talked about provide to employers? Nothing prohibits an employer from adopting a zero-tolerance policy in their workplace. This means that it, that employees cannot be under the influence or have marijuana within their possession at the workplace. This should be looked at much like the use of alcohol in the workplace. We can't discriminate against an individual for what they do in off-duty hours or outside of our workplace, but we still have control when the individual is under the influence in our workplace or even when that individual is on call as defined by the law. So the act does not prohibit employers from randomly drug testing with reasonable suspicion if you have an appropriate program in place or pre-employment drug testing. However, you must be able to ensure that you do not discriminate against them for their off-duty conduct. Drug tests today can detect marijuana that has been in the system for hours, weeks, or even months ago. The challenge is you cannot solely rely on drug testing to make these determinations of immediate under-the-influence like you could for other types of substances. So uh, you have to provide a reasonable suspicion checklist to determine the next steps. What is their speech like? How is their behavior? Are they irritable? Do they slur their words? Are they doing any of the irrational types of things within the workplace? These questions will help determine if a drug test or even an alcohol test is necessary in this situation. There's a couple of decisions that employers need to make to determine if the risk is too high to even consider keeping your drug test policies in place, especially for pre-employment. Make sure that your current drug testing program aligns with your state law. If you have to follow DOD regulations, if you're a federal contractor, if you're in certain healthcare facilities, some of their laws may differ. That's because they might be guided by federal statutes uh, as well. Please make sure that you're aware of these laws and how they apply to your specific industry. 
I hope you found this information useful. I know I found it fascinating, beginning with that uh, tweet that I that I found and uh, the follow-up research. I'm still doing some research on the topic. In fact, it's going to take me a long time to get caught up on all of the changes that have taken place in just a couple of months um, that I've been gone. But this uh, recreational marijuana piece is definitely one of the most interesting things that I've seen. So uh, be sure to check out my website, shalomkline.com. I'm going to link to uh, to some of this information, but be sure to check out our sponsors, Tandem HR. They can provide a lot of information for you, tandemhr.com. Or give them a call, 630-928-0510. More advice, information, and content coming up for you right after this very quick break. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Indeed, you are listening to Get Down to Business. I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Get on my website, shalomkline.com. Uh, we've been talking a lot of uh, hopefully helpful information. We've been talking about leadership. We've been talking about uh, my experiences over the past few months and some of the leadership lessons I've, I've learned along the way um, at Officer Candidate School and uh, Army Training at Fort Benning. I'm going back uh, to Fort Leonard Wood to continue my training um, and I've uh, been catching up, as you heard, on some of the policies, some of the changes in regulations in the state of Illinois, including um, recreational marijuana. And that is indeed a massive, massive change. Um, so do your due diligence. Look up that information, A, to find out how you can benefit um, from the changes in regulations and perhaps jump into that massive, massive, massive world of entrepreneurship like so many others uh, to service that industry. Of, uh, of whether it's cannabis, uh, as you heard, the gaming industry in the state of Illinois is expanding. So if you want to get in on those businesses, there's opportunities both for you to get a license uh, to work in that industry, to potentially own a business like that, um, but also service companies that are expanding. So lots of opportunities. It's always important to look at sort of what the trends are. That's why uh, it's fun to read the newspaper or if you're like me, and you don't read the actual physical copy of the newspaper, you subscribe to a lot of newsletters, and you keep tra- tabs of what's going on in the world, you can sort of see the trends of what businesses are growing, what businesses are shrinking, and adjust your business accordingly. Um, but business is not the only way uh, that you can benefit from uh, from this sort of information. I know many of our listeners are in the job search right now, and uh, I want to spend the next couple of minutes talking about uh, about the job search and uh, talking about some of the uh, things that you possibly could be doing. Uh, did you hear that quote, find a job you enjoy doing and you'll never have to work a day in your life? Um, that was from the uh, great Mark, Tw- Mark Twain. And as a child and adolescent, uh, I probably have had that same conversation um, with adults hundreds of times. You know the one, um, what are you going to do when you grow up? And while all friends, family members have been asked that question um, and have asked those questions, I'm sure everybody is well-meaning, genuinely interested. There's something very important that they miss, something vital when it comes to, to, to that job search. So I want to talk about some of those things. What's one important thing that adults miss when talking to young people about their future careers? And how does it relate to your people skills? When somebody uh, would ask me what I was going to do when I grew up, and I would give uh, some answers because I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do, or I'd heard about something in school, and I may have just been sort of sharing what that industry or what that profession was at that time in my life, nobody ever really asked me the important questions, the one that 
ignited my curiosity and fueled my energy. What do you want or what do you love to do? Those are really the questions that you need to ask somebody. Those aren't easy questions to answer and they change throughout your lifetime. But the way you answer today can influence your job search. For example, what do I love to do? That's a long list, longer than the time that I have on this program, but I certainly enjoy working with people. I certainly enjoy sharing information through Get Down to Business. There's a lot of things that, uh, that probably I could have explained if the correct question would have been asked. So answering the, asking the right question is really important. But let's continue. Let's talk a little bit more about, uh, about the job search. Um, many of you I know that are listening probably have been in uh, a job that maybe the reason it didn't work out, the reason you're looking for your next opportunity is probably because it wasn't a job that you really, really loved. So you have to find the job. Um, I always say to any job seeker that I meet with, it's not about the job search. It's about the research that goes into the job search. That means that, yes, if you applied for jobs online because you're out of work, it's going to be Pretty much, you're probably going to end up on the same apps, Career Builder, Indeed, not to disparage any of those companies, but it's the way I would define it. I've been spending a lot of time on the range over the past few months. It's as if handing somebody a weapon and blindfolding them and saying, hey, hit the target. You're not going to find the job of your dreams if you're just randomly applying to positions online. You have to start doing research and you have to start picking up the phone and sending emails and developing real relationships, networking, networking your way into the job. So if you find out what job you actually want, you can then focus all of your effort, all of your energies into networking your way into that specific opportunity. So as opposed to just being one in a million of the resumes that might be piled up on a company's desk and you, indeed, you may have seen a certain job and you submitted your application, you want to be sure that your job description, yes, the job description is complete. That's right. I'm not making a mistake over here. I'm not talking about your resume. I'm talking about a job description. Draft what are the things that you love to do. Didn't you hear me talk about that a moment ago? Adults should be asking children, what do you love to do? As opposed to, what are you going to be? So if you start thinking about what you love to do, let's say it's working with computers, let's say it's working with people, yet let's say it's using specific skills, then you could actually find what that job is of your dreams and then actually find the companies that have the job of your dreams. And then I guarantee it, if you start networking properly, which we'll talk about some more in a couple of minutes, we'll talk a little bit about some of the networking advice, you'll actually guaranteed be able to network with the people that actually have that job opportunity and the people that make those hiring decisions. It's not that hard. Chicago is a big city, but a very small city, a city that you can network your way into most companies, big or small. Some of you might be listening and you might be interested in a smaller company, an entrepreneur that you might want to work for, or a company that does just the thing that you're super duper interested in, but, uh, or you might be looking to work for one of the large companies. You can network your way in. You can find the job of your dreams. If you start to think about what are the things that you love to do, work that way. It will work. We'll talk some more about the job search. We'll talk some more about business entrepreneurship. You're listening to Get Down to Business. I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Get on my website, shalomklein.com. Got more advice for you in just a minute. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. So we've been talking all about networking. We've been talking about the job search, and we've been talking a little bit about research. Just to finish that thought, um, I've been uh, talking a lot about 
finding the, the job of your dreams, filling out your job description, and that comes before uh, completing your resume, in my opinion. Um, and once you know what that dream job of yours is, you've got to find the dream companies that have that dream job. And then the work begins. That's when you start to prepare your pitch. So you want to start to understand the basics of the company. What does it do? And does this interest you? Who are their customers? Where do they come from? What's the standard working hours? How far will you need to travel? What's the company's values? So that's the only part of the job search that really should be done online. Yes, once you find the companies that have the opportunities that you're looking for, you can start to Google them and you can start to look up not only their website, which of course is the first place they need to look, but you also need to look at websites like Glassdoor and uh, some of the other sites. There's so many out there these days that have reviews of companies and reviews of employment experiences. Because keep in mind, you're not the first person, likely, unless it's a very small company that have gone through those experiences. So lots of information out there available for you. As mentioned, the job search, we've been talking a lot about entrepreneurship, but uh, the job search really should be done, for the most part, by uh, doing your research and really starting with that question of what do you love to do? So I hope you found that helpful. Put it into practice. I'd love to know what you thought, um, how it works, and any advice that I can uh, provide to you, feel free to get on my website, shalomkline.com, or tweet me at shalomkline, get on my Facebook page. That's where we're uh, doing Facebook Live from right now, so you can get a sneak peek of who's next week on the show. Some uh, of our guests have some great advice for you, but I'd love to get in touch and love to answer any questions about anything that we talked about this week, whether it's about uh, the uh, new policies and new policies that have been implemented in the state of Illinois, uh, such as uh, recreational marijuana. I uh, talked a lot about the Army, talked a lot about OCS and public service in general, uh, but the job search too. And next week, we'll continue uh, our usual format, having a lot of guests talking on the subjects. But networking is really important, and there's a lot of networking events coming up. Um, I will be at the Skokie's Backlot Bash. Um, and that starts on Friday and continues Saturday and Sunday in Skokie, downtown Skokie. Lots of changes going on in Skokie. I've been having fun every morning uh, since I've been back going for runs and walks. Uh, Got to keep my PT even when I'm not in active uh, uh, on an active uh, army base. I got to make sure I'm staying in shape. So I've been running around and Skokie looks very, very different. Lots of new developments and you get a sneak peek of it. I love Skokie. You know that. Anybody that listens to the show knows that. Um, but the Backlot Bash is coming up August 23rd through the 25th. I'm not an expert on these bands, but the Smithereens are uh, performing on Friday with guest vocalist Marshall Crenshaw. Um, lots of music, three days of music on a couple of different stages. Uh, you don't want to miss it. Uh, full lineup of guests, lots of good food. I'm looking forward to that. There's going to be a carnival. There's going to be a backlot dash, a 5K. Uh, there's going to be movie matinees all day at the Skokie Public Library. And perhaps the highlight of all this, yes, don't forget, I'll be there. I'll be there, and I'd love to network with you. would love to share um any of this experience with all of our listeners. Um, and uh, the event is sponsored by the Skokie Chamber of Commerce, the Skokie Public Library, the Village of Skokie, the Skokie Park District, and the School District 219. So lots of good organizations there, lots of good people. It's always a packed crowd. And uh, we've been talking all about networking, both for businesses as well as for job seekers. So if something that I said resonated with you, it means that you probably need to get out there and you need to start developing your contacts. Now, we don't use that term Rolodex anymore, but you cannot just rely on the people that you've known for years and the people that you hopefully are grabbing coffee with. Hopefully you're expanding that list of people. 
uh, and you're networking as much as humanly possible. And this is a great place to network. Indeed, it's a fun event, but yes, there will be a lot of professionals there. Did you hear me say that one of these organizations is indeed the Skokie Chamber of Commerce that puts on a lot of great events, opportunities for all of you. So check it out. I'll see you there. Um, check out our sponsors, Tandem HR, your solution center. Find them online, tandemhr.com. Give them a call, 630 630-928-0510. Go to my website, shalomkline.com. Download podcasts from the from past shows. Get a sneak peek of who will be in next week on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. To success, let's get down to business. I'll talk to you next week. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.